Welcome to Dev Tools Topia, where we have casual and unpretentious conversations about developer tools and the future of the software industry. I'm your host, Kate Catlin. Welcome back. Today, our guest is Charity Majors, who is the CTO of Honeycomb. Hi, good morning. <laughs> uh, Charity, we're so excited to talk to you about Honeycomb and what they do and what observability is, but I think that's actually the correct starting point, that last question. Um, so explain to me like I'm five, what is observability? How would you describe it? Observability is, um, <laughs> you know, we build these these fantastically complex systems, um, but we build them like like it's in the dark. You know, we just like padding around just like, you know, oh, let's put something over here, you know, without ever really seeing what is, you know, what's going on. And observability is our best attempt to understand. It's like to put our glasses on, right? Um, to see it in fine detail, um, to be able to, I mean, the technical definition is, you know, can you understand what's going on inside the system just by looking at it from outside the system? Ooh. I like which is, that. Which is borrowed from mechanical engineering and control systems theory, you know, and all of these very fancy, like hard, hard engineering, you know, not like us that are kind of engineering, you know, but like hard engineering <laughs> stuff. Um, but I think that, I think that philosophically, you know, it, it really, it, it tracks the rise of microservices. Um, because, you know, monitoring has been how we understood our systems for a very long time. Monitoring is just like, you know, you, you define thresholds and you're like, well, between these thresholds is fine, right? And we're just going to like check over and over to see if they're outside these thresholds for all of these different things that we've set, right? right. Um, and it, that's very post hoc, right? It's very like after the fact. And, and, and like when we had a monolith, all of that complexity was really bound up inside the app, right? And the database. And you could attach a debugger and step through it if you needed to, but like you mostly didn't, you know, you, you just relied on your tests and everything, but it was all bound up inside of there. Um, and with the rise of microservices, we kind of blew up the monolith and now it's hopping the network all over. We've exposed so much of this complexity of the systems to like operational issues and, and stuff that you can't, you can't attach a, a debugger to step through it because you have to hop the network, Right. And so we kind of need a different paradigm to understand what's going on in these systems now that there's so much, so much more going on. Oh, wow. Okay, so let's dig in more with the history and then also the future in a second. But before that, observability is what Honeycomb does, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you are the co-founder of Honeycomb. So yes. how, how did you, what was your journey into this market when you started that company? Well, so my niche as an engineer has always been, I like to be, I'm, I come from ops, you know, <laughs> old school sysadmin. Uh, I, I like to be, you know, the first or very early person who joins a team of software engineers and just helps them grow up, right? Um, and I was doing that at Parse, which is a mobile backend as a service. Really loved Parse. I've used Parse, actually. That's really? My brief oh. days as an Android developer. Yeah. Oh. You know, so many people have so many fond memories of Parse, including me. It, you know, Parse is where I, I developed a, an appreciation for the design and, you know, aesthetics of software that I never really had before being a command line junkie, you know? Um, so I was doing that, I was doing that at Parse and we were going down all the time, like every day, you know, like when we got acquired by Facebook, we were going down, you know, we had 60,000 mobile apps hosted on, on our service. And like, it was just like every day, a different app would hit the iTunes top 10 and then we'd go down and we'd have to try and figure out who it was. And like, 
it was just very clear that the model of monitoring where you could pretty much predict all of the problems you were going to have. And so you just like curate them over time, right? This is just like, it didn't work for us. <laughs> and I tried every tool. You know, with monitoring tools, it's like you can tell that there's a spike of errors or you can tell that something's gone wrong, but you can't tell what, right? And with logging, it's like, well, if you know what to look for and if you thought to log it, then you can find it, you can search for it. But if you didn't, <laughs> good luck, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and none, of the, none of this shit worked. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so we get acquired by Facebook. And, you know, they started pushing various tools on us because our uptime was like, I remember one month it was 98%. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it was excruciating. Um, and there was nothing really worked. But then there was this one tool called Scuba that kind of helped us turn the corner. And Scuba was this butt ugly, like aggressively hostile to users tool that let you do one thing really well, which was slice and dice in near real time on dimensions of high cardinality. Um, and if you're thinking high cardinality dimensions, well, anything that's a unique ID is the highest possible cardinality, right? So app ID, you know, uh, which is which is the things that like monitoring tools don't let you attach tags that are high cardinality. You'll blow out the key space, right? So that's why you can't slice and dice on your mon- from your monitoring tool to get down to the specific rows and the you know the specific app IDs, specific social security numbers, right? You just can't go there. Um, well, you could with Scuba. And the time that it took us to understand these outages dropped like a rock, like from days, <laughs> maybe never, like to like not even minutes, like seconds, just like every time, just like click, 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 click. Oh, it's that one, you know? And and this blew my mind. Like I, it, it was so transformational for us. We just started loading all of our data into Scuba and just like, okay. And when I was leaving Facebook, I kind of went, oh, crap. I don't know how to engineer anymore without this kind of tooling. Like, oh. it's not even how I get my systems back up when they go down. It's become so fundamental to everything. These are my five senses, you know? This is how I understand what's going on. This is how I decide what I'm going to work on. This is how I validate that what I've done is what I wanted to do. You know, it's like it's like going back to, to, to driving down the highway blind without this tooling. So Christine and I, and, and like I come from the ops side and Christine, my co-founder, came very much from the dev side. And she had come at this from the perspective of, she, she was the person who single-handedly built the Parse Analytics engine and system, which was built on, you know, Cassandra database, which is very old school, you know, metrics and stuff. And the experience she had was our customers who were using Parse Analytics couldn't answer their questions (laughs) using our tooling. So she had to keep keep falling back to scuba to answer it for them because, and she was just fundamental. She's, she's, she's a brilliant engineer and she was just very personally, like her honor had been smudged because this tool she had built <laughs> couldn't do what our user, but like the reason it couldn't is because when you're dealing with like metrics and, you know, logs and anything that has a defined schema, what you're asking people to do is figure out in advance what's going to break and then watch those things. Right. But you don't and know what, in advance. You don't know in advance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what Scuba lets you do is just break down by anything. So you could just go, you don't have to predict in advance or define in advance or set a schema or, you know, c- capture custom metrics or any of that prep because you just, you can just do it on the fly. So we came together and we were like, 
our honor has been smudged. Like we must buy build this tool. <laughs> and like the ultimate, ultimate order. <laughs> exactly. It was rage. It was straight up rage. <laughs> I mean, I think that probably speaks to like you coming from the engineering background and being sort of a developer tool for other developers. It, it very much came from a place of rage. Um, but so what was interesting was we kept not failing. So we had to figure out what to do about this. Oh and, <laughs> and like, the, like, yes, we had to build a storage engine from scratch. That was not actually the hard part. The hard part was trying to figure out how to talk about it because it was clear that we weren't building a monitoring tool. Um, and so what were we building, right? And it was halfway through the first year that I Googled the term observability because at the time, nobody was using it. Like, I think that there was an observability team at Twitter from years back, but like nobody was using this term. Wait, and what I, year was this? This was two, 2015. Wow. And like, and I Googled the term observability and I realized, uh, I read the definition, you know, it's how, how well can you understand the inner workings of a system just by observing from the outside? And I, I had light bulbs going off. I was like, oh my God, this is what we're trying to build. Like we're trying to build something where you can ask any question, understand, describe any system state just without having to pre predict it in advance or define it in advance. Because the way that ops teams, you know, use dashboards, it's all like, you know, we've curated these elaborate dashboards to describe a, a certain point in time when something happened so we can just like skip skim through them real quick and like you know figure out which one is using our intuition basically and and it's not this methodical just like can you ask questions describe what's happening from from scratch so i started talking about observability that was the year I went to Monitorama and gave a talk. And at the end, it was like, ah, next year, you'll all be coming to observability Orama. And that wasn't exactly popular with those folks either. Um, <laughs> but everybody started talking about observability. And so like the, the state that we're in right now is, is that, you know, there is a technical def definition for observability, which I espouse because I think it's meaningful. Because mm. I think that the systems of the future, um, you have to be able to ask any question and understand any system state without being able to predict it in advance. What you've got right now is, is like everyone in the monitoring, um, APM, logging, time series database, um, whatever the fuck you call elastic, all of these different sectors are going, well, we do observability too. And I'm like, but you're not paying attention to the definition. You're just using it as like an umbrella sort of catch-all term for telemetry. And that's not, that's not, you know, so mm. my hope is that over the next couple of years, because I know that many of these companies on the back end are working feverishly to, to, to give their tools the properties of observability. My hope is that when some of them have joined us there, they will be as vigorous as we are about defending the actual definition instead of just jumping on the bandwagon and trying to steal all of our marketing material. <laughs> I'm like, steal it all. Just don't pick and choose. Like steal the marketing material and the technical stuff. And so the users will be better off. Then I won't have a problem with you. But I have a problem with them just stealing the marketing material and not stealing the features because then users don't realize that there's, it's supposed to be any better than the bullshit that, that they currently have. They're like, right. oh, I, we've heard the we've heard the like the marketing and we've tried it and it wasn't any better. Well, that's because it wasn't fucking observability. <laughs> mm, Off-brand. Yeah. So, so when you say like getting all those teams onto observability, what does does observability matter to every team, or is it just microservices teams, or is it just large teams? You know, is it startups? It's never not better. It's never not better. It, it's always better to build with observability. It just for the same reason that we all wear our glasses every day. You know, you always mm -hmm. need to be able to see what you're doing. Now, there are systems where you need it more than others, for sure. 
<laughs> what, know, what kinds like, of systems are those? The microservices is a really good example. Although some of our most devoted users have monoliths, you know, mm. uh, a really key aspect of observability is tracing and, and not tracing as a standalone tool, but tracing as a part of just one way of visualizing what's going on. You know, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to capture your data like over here for your metrics, over here for your logs, over here for your traces. You should capture it once and be able, you can derive all of those data types from observability's data types and you can't go in the reverse direction. It's like a one-way key cipher, you know, like you, you mm-hmm. can derive traces and metrics and logs from arbitrarily wide structured events, which is what observability is based on, you can't go in the reverse direction. So if you don't have observability, you're going to end up paying for it three times and still not being able to stitch together what's actually happening, right? <laughs> Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> oh, which types? Right, right, right. Frustration right. Was, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> which types of teams? Right. Well, you know, anytime you've got sufficiently complex system, it's going to get really hard to understand. And, and over time, you're mm-hmm. going to find yourself backed into this corner where the people who understand the system the best will always be the people who have been there the longest. And that, that holds true whether it's like one year or 10 or 20. And so the, you've got these people who have wedged themselves into these positions where they're necessary. And this is because you don't have the tooling to understand your system. So you're relying on human memories and, like, and this like the sixth sense that we get. And, and don't get me wrong, I fucking love being that person with the sixth <laughs> sense who can just like wave arms at a, at a wall of dashboards and go, it's Redis. You know, like I love that <laughs> shit. It's fantastic. But it's not actually good for me. And it's not actually good for the team, right? What you right. want is to have your, 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 your systems instrumented in a way and have tooling that will let you inspect it so that the best people at understanding your systems will be the ones who are the most curious, the ones who use it the most, the ones who... You know, you know, it's it's a much healthier state of being, and and I've seen. It sounds like a fairy tale, but I've seen it work. Like I've seen teams transform from you know the type where the person who's been there the longest knows it the best to they add more tooling, more instrumentation, observability, and suddenly you know the people who are always finding the answers are the are the curious ones, are the ones who like. You know, there are some people on the team who just love debugging, and. That's a different, you know, everybody has their own niche that they love. The people who love debugging, we should arm them and empower them so that they can actually be the ones to find the problems in our systems, is my humble <laughs> proposal. I love that. Yeah, let everyone live in their zone of genius, if you will. Yes. 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 We, it takes all types, right? Yeah. But like longevity should not be the, the cardinal virtue. <laughs> right. Especially if that person would rather kind of move on and work on other parts of the right. product and keeps getting sucked right. Right. Exactly. And we've seen this over and over and over, right? I think it's really healthy for engineering teams to institute a policy of you could be on a team for two years, maybe three, and then move around right? It helps you retain your best people. It helps you keep everyone like motivated and inspired. It makes it so so there are no dusty corners of your system where you don't realize that like it's just calcified and those people haven't moved in years. And like, you know, like any system, any system that is lucky enough to be successful enough to live for long enough is going to get those corners unless you constantly move people around. Yeah. Huh. So, so let's kind of pivot into like where the industry has come from and where it's gone. So, so 
I was going to ask you, like, how has observability changed over the last 10 years up until now? You started to speak to that. I guess what I hadn't even realized until this conversation was observability didn't exist 10 years ago. Like, we only had monitoring. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, if you more about that. It didn't exist as a term as a, that had technical meaning in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are some places like Amazon actually has, when they started talking about how to structure, you know, arbitrarily wide structured data blobs. And, and the key there is that, you know, you want one per request per service. So like your request enters a service, you initialize an empty like blob, you pre-fill it with anything you know about the environment, any parameters, like anything about the language internals, et cetera. And then while it's executing, you know, you stuff in anything else that might help you find it in the future. Any needles that would help you, help details would help you find this needle in a haystack, right? Any unique ID, anything high cardinality, et cetera. And then when the request is exiting or erring, you ship it off as one arbitrarily wide structured event. Um, Turns out Amazon has been doing their logs this way for like decades. (laughs) Right, so like there, there are like echoes of it. There are shadows of it everywhere because because it's the right way to do things, right? Which is which is why everyone's kind of converging on it. I think Honeycomb has the advantage of like we got to see how Facebook had done some things, how Google had done some things. Like we just kind of got to see this is the this is the constellation of best practices that will help people get over the hump of you know services to come and we got to make all those trade-offs with no technical debt (laughs) starting five years ago right Uh, so i think you know yes observability as a term has technical meaning is about five years old um but people these are not best practices that we invented from thin air right they were they were we have a very rich heritage to draw on um so I, I love that. So, so you drew from all these threads in the tapestry that already existed and sort of made your own better tapestry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And so, so now we're at the point we're at now and like, what's going to happen next? Like over the next year, where does observability go as microservices get more prevalent, as people discover the real observability or hopefully right. the real one and not the off-brand one? Right. Um, where do you think well, we're going? I think that, you know, I think that at least those three categories, uh, monitoring, logging, and APM, are going to basically dissolve over the next five years and become just one category. There's, there's no reason for them to exist. They were, all, they were all sets of, you know, choices that were made, made based on scarcity at the time. Like hardware was so expensive that we were just like, uh, what is the most that we can do with the least amount of space? And thus the metric was born, right? Um, I do think that there are some niche case usage, niche use cases for like monitoring tools, um, namely infrastructure, honestly, like infrastructure as a whole, which is becoming a smaller and smaller percentage of what engineering teams spend their time on, right? Because we're starting to outsource more and more of it. We're moving up the stack in, in what engineers have to think about while they build software, right? Uh, so I, when I say engineer, <laughs> infrastructure is a niche use case, that a lot of people would get very upset about that. But I think that like, if you look at the trajectory, um, you're, we're, we're specializing in as, as an industry, right? Like either you work on infrastructure, you solve it as a category problem for everyone, or you work on your core business differentiators, whatever those are, right? There's like a great sort that's kind of going on there. Um, and I think the infrastructure tools will always need monitoring tools because they're tasked with the health of the service, right? They need to care about capacity. They need to care about, you know, generic health metrics that are divorced from, you know, the code of the people that are 
running on it. Um, so they're always going to need metrics and aggregates and stuff like that in isolation. But for people who are not working on infrastructure directly, um, they're going to they're going to be focused on their core business differentiators, whatever those are. And those people need observability, not monitoring, because what they care about is not, is this system healthy and abstract? What they care about is my user. Can my user run, you know, all of the requests that they need to run? Can they get the resources they need to, to run? And if not, why not? Right. From the perspective of their code, from, from the perspective of their users, like that's who they care about. Um, and, and so, like, it's almost a meaningless question to them. Like, is this system healthy in aggregate? Like, what do they care? Like, all they care about is their users, right? So I think that, you know, ops people like me kind of have a choice to make. We can either go all in on infrastructure and solve infrastructure problems as a service for everyone, or we can attach ourselves to these software engineering teams that are trying to ship products, right? And, like, you still need ops. Like, even if you do zero infrastructure, you still need ops, SRE, everything, because those are the people who help engineering teams ship software effectively and efficiently. Like we debug the, the complex socio-technical systems that includes, you know, the production system, um, the people, and the tools that they use to act upon the production system, and and they're very well equipped to like help you use less infrastructure, for example. Right? They're 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 a force mu- force multiplier. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, so I think that that's where we're going. And I think that observability is going to, um, I think that all of the tools out there, the big names, right? Your new relics, your, um, your data dogs, your Splunk and signal effects, et cetera. They're all working very hard on their backends to try and add the functionality that I've described because their users are demanding it. <laughs> so my hope is that they will be successful because I don't want to compete on a field of we're the only people who have it. That's, that's kind of bullshit, right? Like, I want to compete in the field of, you know, our users are the happiest. Um, and you, you can do the most um, for the least money. And you're, you're you know, the, the field that I want to be competing on is one where we're all thinking about how to bring everyone up to the level of the best debugger in every part of the system, right? Because when I'm building a system, I know everything about my service, right? Or the thing that I'm building. I know it intimately. And when I'm, using my tools, like I use it like a, like a master, right? Like I, I ask questions that show that I know what I'm doing, right? But if I'm trying to debug like a request, I'm not just responsible for my part of the system. I'm responsible for the whole system, right? And I don't know all of it intimately. I can't know all of it intimately. It's too big. I have to rely on my coworkers. I have to. And so in the tool, it should, it should embed, you know, the wisdom of, of everyone who's using it like a like a master in their corner of the system right like i should be able to you know ooh, there there's a problem over there maybe it's my sequel libraries and i don't know my sequel but you know i know who on my team is good at my sequel i know it's ben or emily so i can like slice and dice and i can look at how did ben solve this problem the last time or what did emily do the last time that there was an error like this you know and, and just like wearing grooves in the system the longer that you use it so that even like long after i've gone people can access you know the wisdom that i brought to the system wow that is a future that i want so badly how do you think um, how do you think that will affect how teams are sort of sorted out from each other. Like, I think it's a pretty common practice at software companies that X team vo- owns 
X repo and Y team owns Y repo. And in order to change something in Y repo, you have to pull requests and get reviews. Do you think that that's going to break those barriers down if we have that shared knowledge and mastery? I, I mean, I've always thought that like um, silos are defined by the edges of their tools. Silos, that, like, silos are defined silos? by the edges of their tools. Hmm. It's like okay. if, if I use a tool to interact with a system, that's a version of reality that I'm talking to, right? And if the t- team next to me uses a different tool to talk to the system, we don't share a version of reality. And, and we might spend more time arguing about what my tool says versus what your tool says than trying to solve the actual problem, right? I think it's very important that teams share a version of reality. Um, other, otherwise, you just you spend all of your time arguing, right? So I think that, that there's healthy ownership and then there's unhealthy ownership. And I think that healthy ownership is the kind that, you know, doesn't erect barriers, um, but it does, you know, outline areas of responsibility and, and let people, you know, like it's like the old ops, like Maxim, that nobody should ever get paged for something that they don't have the ability and the knowledge to fix, right? Otherwise, you're just wearing people down with pages that they can't do anything about and you just burn them out, right? right. right? You should never give someone of any sort that they aren't both able to fix and happy to fix, right? Um, and that tight, like virtuous feedback loop of, you know, directing the right alerts to the right people who are empowered to fix those things is, is both an art and a science. Um, so I think that like in terms of responsibility, like you can't, like I think that like having individual teams attached to individual repos, I don't think that's an anti-pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's an anti-pattern if those become like barriers or if they're getting paged about things that are outside their zone of control. Um, and the nice thing about microservices is that it starts to have much more cleaner abstractions that let you <laughs> more perfectly, I'm not going to say perfectly yet, but like more perfectly assign the right alerts to the right teams. Yeah, I like that. Huh. So then as a last question, I always like to ask people, where will this be in a hundred years? Because mm. who knows where we're going to be in a hundred years? I mean, will we even have exactly. accountability or are we all just, you know, one with the machines? Like what, mm-hmm. where do you think this industry is going as far out as we can see? You know, uh, I, my mind immediately goes to AI, um, but I kind of think that's a cop out. I think that's a crapshoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a lot of people um, automatically like jump to, well, there will be systems that we can't understand. And I'm not sure that there will. I think at the end of the day, there's going to be someone with a wrench. <laughs> Somebody who's got to understand the system or at least their component of it. I think that that's just how it is. Huh. Yeah, that's actually a thing I hadn't thought about. So the common thread of thought is there will be so much AI, observability won't help us because we won't even understand what we're looking at. Yeah, well, no, I, I'm saying that observability, you will, we will have to be able to reduce it to problems that we can understand. Huh. That's I, terrifying. I, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it's any more terrifying than the Industrial Revolution was, which displaced a lot of people and was kind of traumatic and terrible for everyone, so maybe it is. <laughs> huh. I don't know. We're, we're speaking here like two days after the election, so every, I think everyone's in a bit of an apocalyptic mood. Yeah, that's very true. Um, a question mark about the future of really anything at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I honestly, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to understand it. You see this right now with like CTOs and CIOs who like, they're begging for like vendors to like 
give them tools that they can't understand, honestly. And vendors are like, give me $10 million and I'll make it so that nobody has to understand anything so that I'll tell you what to look at and I'll tell you what it means. And that's just bullshit. It's not true. It's not ever true. At the end of the day, one of the people on their team is going to have to be able to figure it out. Is going to have to understand it. I think it would be much better served to offer those CTOs and CIOs tools that will help their people understand things instead of like promise that they can't. That's a great note to end on. Um, Charity, thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts, especially two days after an election. Uh, yeah, I know we're all having me. <laughs> on sleep. Uh, where can people see more about your projects and work? Um, honeycomb.io or charity.wtf um, and Mipsy Tipsy on Twitter. That's your, that's your URL.wtf. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> Incredible. Well, thank you again and wonderful to chat with you. Likewise. Likewise.